asking of us these days is the key to walking with him. The more letters I'm receiving and the more input I am getting as a result of these messages on how to really live indicates that more and more. I hold in my hand a letter from a lady who says with love and excitement, I enclose my tithe for the month of March. You know, I never would have believed that writing a check of 10% of my salary would be exciting. I heard your sermon on tithing and that we should be happy, excited to give our gift to the Lord. I thought, boy, with all the bills and the things we need around the house, I can't picture paying out another chunk of money. Well, praise God, you're right. Last month I got my paycheck and right away wrote out the check and put it in the mail. My husband asked, why not wait until Sunday? I told him I was so thrilled to give it that I couldn't wait until then. You know, we had been trying to sell our home since last September. Well, I sent the check, and the following day we received two offers on our home and at full price to boot. Not only did we sell our home, we bought a really nice new one, and he even had some money left over for extra things. So, Pastor Cole, my check is enclosed with love, excitement, and looking forward to next month. That's obedience, and that's what we've been talking about, and that's what this special word from the Lord is about today. Coming in this morning, a brother handed me a, an envelope with a note, how much I rejoice today. It's very hard to describe. The Lord brought a buyer for our house by some uh, brought a buyer for my house some time ago, and it closed escrow this week. This has made it possible for me to pay my building pledge, plus a little more. It is given with a happy heart. And there's a check for $6,520 there for the building program. Thank God for obedience. Are you hearing with your heart? That's the challenge from our Lord today. And are you following in obedience? The message this morning we have titled The Three Fires. I don't know how many people have asked me, what are they? Well, that's what I'm here to tell you. R.A. Torrey picked up a leaflet at the end of a very busy day which captured his attention. On the leaflet was this statement, wanted a baptism with fire. He said as he held that leaflet, that's just exactly what I needed, a baptism with fire. And a verse came to his mind as he held that leaflet, the one that we read a few moments ago from Matthew 3. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. As R.A. Torrey prepared for his Sunday evening service that weekend, two more texts came to him about fire. You'll want to jot them down so you have all three. The other is 1 Corinthians 3.15. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. That's 1 Corinthians 
The third verse that came to his attention was in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, rendering vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now these verses have captured my attention on this day as I come to share my heart with you. I have learned just this week of a disease called photophobia. People who cannot tolerate bright light on their eyes. It is very painful, I'm told, and causes the sufferer to seek darkness and to pursue the shadows rather than the light. It occurred to me that we're living in a time of spiritual photophobia, the rejection of spiritual light. It is common to love darkness and not light, to have no defense against the powers of evil that confront us every day. But God manifests himself in light and in fire. From the mount called Sinai to the last of Revelation, we learn that God manifests himself in this way. Nothing will ever be left in darkness where God is concerned. So we want to take these three fires today and discover a way out of our photophobia, our spiritual darkness, those areas of our lives that have not been penetrated yet by his light, by his fire. The first fire is the fire of the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 3, the passage we read. Now, what happened following the Gospels is, of course, the Acts of the Apostles, a fulfillment of what was spoken in Matthew 3 and in other passages. The disciples gathered in an upper room in obedience to the command of Christ. Acts 2 says they were in one place, they were in one accord when the Holy Ghost descended. They were waiting for an endowment of power. And the Bible informs us that a sound as of a rushing mighty wind came into that room. Tongues descended and landed upon them like as a fire, Acts 2 tells us. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now I want us for a few moments to think of what fire does. When we concern ourselves with this mighty fire of the Holy Spirit, we learn that fire refines and purifies if you take the last chapter, or rather the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and look at the third chapter, you will see how God makes this known to men. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. It is a message of purification that the people whom he purifies with his fire will be able to offer him an offering of righteousness. That process is underway as we sit in church today. We have come under the banner or the covering of the Holy Spirit in this building. Now, you can go into the baptismal waters, and if you haven't, you can tonight in our baptismal service for the evidence of outward washing. But the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, does the internal cleansing. And so often we do not move beyond the water into the area of fire. But it is the fire that purifies. Throw a piece of gold into the fire and all the alloy and all the dross in it will be consumed. That's why fire is so important to gold. It purifies the gold. The dirt on the outside, we can get off by outward reformation. We can make New Year's resolutions. And with a great deal of discipline, we can keep them. But the alloy or the sin down deep takes a baptism of fire. It is the fire of God that burns that out. And that is why John declares that this one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, the purifying process of the Holy Ghost. Another thing that fire does is consumes. If you look at Leviticus chapter 1, you will read of the burnt offering that was established by God for the Israelites. They were to do certain things, and they were to do them in a certain way. In verse 3 of Leviticus 1, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male. He was talking about bulls, large animals that would be burnt upon the altar of sacrifice. Then when you come down to verse 9, you will see what that offering does. An offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. It smells good to God when we come under the fire of the Holy Spirit. In verse 10, there's a second step. If the offering is of the flocks, the sheep, the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male. And then in verse 14, there's a third, and that's birds. If the burnt sacrifice is an offering of birds, it has a development here according to the social strata of the individual. If they could afford a bull, fine. If they couldn't, then a sheep or a goat. If they couldn't afford that, then they bring a bird. So there's something 
for everyone available at the altar of burnt offering. And again at the end of that passage, in verse number 17, it says it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Is your life right now a sweet aroma to the Lord? Has the dross, has the alloy of your life been burned by God at the altar of burnt offering? I've thought about that in regard to what we're doing in church. The burnt offering. It says that our love for things has to be burnt at that altar. Our quest for money, things that do not satisfy nor help us eternally, they must be brought to that altar. Our desire for prestige or for pleasure. Our love for gossip. Our love for selfish ambition. They must all be brought to the altar. And they must be consumed by the fire of God. It must all be placed upon the altar of burnt offering. A Bible school girl had been working with the poor under assignment as part of her Bible school training in a rather difficult part of town, poor part of town. This girl was filled with pride, loud, stubborn, obstinate. After a Saturday's work on the street, she was walking home through a very lovely part of town and she was looking at these beautiful homes as she made her way along. And she said to herself, oh, that is what I like. I have had enough of dirty old stairways and squalor. That's what I like. Those beautiful mansions staring at her in this lovely neighborhood. She proceeded home fighting the Holy Spirit within her heart that was at work about that very thing. She was seated at the evening table when the Holy Spirit literally fell upon her, as alone the Holy Spirit can do. In an instant, she ran across the room, threw her arms around a friend who was staying with her, and exclaimed, I'm a volunteer for South Africa. What happened? Whereas a few hours before, she was looking at beautiful homes and exclaiming, Ah, that's for me. Now she's saying, I'm a volunteer for Africa. The fire of the Lord had burned up everything evil in her heart. That's what happened. I'm convinced it is the answer to a lot of wrongs in our lives. It is the answer to a lot of things that are wrong in our marriages, in our relationships with each other. In our day-by-day -day walk, we need that baptism of fire that consumes everything that hinders and hurts and holds us back in our spiritual quest. Another thing that fire does is illuminates. Did you know that all light comes from fire? 
Daylight is the effect of the combustion caused by the sun, we are told. Fire illuminates. When you have this baptism of fire, this book suddenly becomes new. It reads like the latest book out on the market. It has excitement to it. It's up to date. It's relevant. It has something in it that we've never found in anything else. We want to devour the book when the Holy Spirit comes and burns within us, bringing light and understanding. If the book is boring to you, I'm talking to you. You need this baptism of fire because fire illuminates. It makes the book live. You desire it. You want to come and hear it preached. You want to read it. You want to get in Bible studies. You want to learn more about it. And the one that it's all about, Jesus Christ, because fire illuminates. The schedule changes. Spiritual photophobia disappears as divine truth deals with agnosticism, skepticism, and doubt, and all the rest that can fill our minds. What is the matter with people who say they are agnostic or whatever? It's that the fire has never been allowed to come into their life to illuminate and make real that which God has given to us in his book. Not only does fire illuminate, but it warms. You can take a bar of iron, place it in fire, and you can take that bar of iron and press it into various shapes without it being broken. We need to glow with love for him as the fire brings warmth into our lives. There are too many cold churches and too many cold Christians and too many cold families around these days. We need the fire to warm us, and that's what this fire that John spoke about is all about in Matthew 3. In our church, I want to see the choir warm with the fire of God as they sing. Not just to go through the routines of singing a song, but to have their lives literally afire with warmth through this baptism of fire. I want the soloists to feel that. I want the church members to feel that, the ushers, the teachers, the preachers, all of us to feel the warmth of God's fire so that we're not just going through motions, but this is a real exercise as we meet day by day or week by week. Are you warm with the fire today? Not only does fire bring warmth, but fire creates energy. Why do you put fuel in your gas tank? Why don't you save money? Well, you've learned, I suspect, that that fuel is burned in the process in order to provide energy for your automobile. And without fuel, there is no fire. There is no energy. There must be fire in the firebox. Watching some of those old westerns on TV, you know, the trains moving down the track, and here's this fellow shoveling coal into the firebox. Why doesn't he sit down and take it easy and enjoy the ride? 
Because if he doesn't feed the firebox, there is no energy to move the train. Same with our lives, same with our church. Without the fire, the car, the train is powerless. So what if we have a lovely building and we have pews and carpets and all the rest and choirs and precision and beauty and gusto and ministry and elocution and organization and beauty and landscaping? What is it if it doesn't have the fire of God in it and the energy of the Spirit coursing through it? It's nothing. It's sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. With all the grandeur, there must be fire in the firebox, the wheels moving for the glory of God. Not only does fire create energy, but it spreads. In 17, or what was the year? I've forgotten the year. The year of the great Chicago fire, 1871, somewhere in there. Mother O'Leary's cow kicked over the lamp on the ground. The grass ignited near Mother O'Leary and her cow. The flames spread, and in 48 hours, only two buildings in that part of Chicago stood because that fire from one little lamp spread and almost destroyed the whole city. But no fire spreads like the fire of the Holy Spirit. Two years after Acts chapter 2, City after city was saying, these that have turned the world upside down are now here in our city. Now that's quite a statement. The world, that's a big thing. The known world had been touched by 12 disciples, by 120 in an upper room, by 3,000 who were converted on the day of Pentecost, and 5,000 who came in a few days later, and on and on it goes until every city was saying, here they come, watch out. Katie, bar the door. Here come those Christians on fire for Jesus Christ. Fire spreads. Yesterday morning in Salt Lake City, Utah, I sat at a table with Pastor Arnie Jacobson and a former Mormon bishop, for getting on the airplane to come home. And this former Mormon bishop looked at me across the table and he said, Pastor Cole, what is the real secret of church development? What is it that makes churches come alive and grow and develop like your church is and our church now is doing and I said, well, Wayne, apart from all of the things that I talked to you about in the banquet last night, the how-tos, there is one overriding factor that always is the secret of development. And I looked him in the eye and I said, that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Without the anointing, it doesn't happen. Without the anointing and the quickening of God's Spirit, it's nothing. But when you have the anointing, it spreads. And people want to get where the warmth and the heat is. And that is the great secret of developing the church of Jesus Christ.
This former Mormon bishop who knows Mormonism like you couldn't believe said, you know, that's what makes Mormons so very ripe for the gospel of Jesus Christ because they have a lot of teaching and they even know who Jesus is, but there's no anointing. There's no quickening. You know, folks, it's exciting. It's really exciting today to realize that we have in our hand the Word of God that teaches us about how fire spreads, the fire of God. And there is no reason why we cannot believe as the church of Jesus Christ that this city can come under the greatest influence of the Holy Ghost that it's ever felt in its history and that literally thousands could be swept into the kingdom of God because fire spreads. And that's the first fire that is talked about here in the New Testament. I will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Are you alive with the fire of God in your bosom today? Now, the second fire is in that first letter of Paul to the Corinthians chapter 3, and it's the trying of our works. Verse 15, the fire shall try every man's work. Explain that to me, Pastor. All right. That fire will try the sermons I preach. That fire will try the songs that the choir sings and the soloists sing. That fire will try the teaching we give in our classes and the ushering that we render and the worship that we enter into. And that fire will try our giving in the offerings of the church. That's what it means. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, whether it be lasting or whether it be that which passes away. All will go up in smoke if not done in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's my translation. All will go up in smoke if it is not done in the name of the Lord Jesus. All of our works not done in the name of the Lord Jesus will go up in smoke. You know, it's possible to sing a solo for your own self-aggrandizement. It's possible to sit in a choir for your own self-aggrandizement. It's possible to preach sermons for what people might think of you. possible to go through any kind of Christian labor in order to have a reputation. It's not done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul says it's all going to be burned up. Our work will be tried by fire. I was thinking about that, and I thought, Lord, what scripture, what example in scripture is there to that fact? And he directed me to the fifth chapter of Acts and the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, one of my friends talking about Ananias and Sapphira calls them Ananias and Sapphira. And it's kind of a neat story, this Ananias and Sapphira thing, because the early church leaders decided that 
They were to sell property and bring in the money for the ongoing work of the Lord. And Ananias comes in with his offering. And Peter says, did you sell it for so much? And he said, yes. And, and he dropped dead. And you see, in that church, there were some young Christians. Uh, they sit down in the front row, and they kind of sit on the edge of their seats, and they're always ready for whatever is asked to be done. And Peter said, carry him out. Here are these young Christians. They just jump around, hallelujah, and pick him up and run him out of the building. He's dead, stone dead. And they march right back in, sit right back down in front for the rest of the meeting. And then Sapphiria comes in. No, Sapphiria. She's going to do the same thing Ananias did. Did you sell it for? Yeah, I sold it for so much. Those that carried your husband out will carry you out. She died right on the spot, and those guys jump up. Glory to God. Here's my assignment. Pick her up, carry out, bury her, come back in for the rest of the meeting. Wonderful to have people around like that, always ready to help. But what is the bottom line of Acts chapter 5? Great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. What did they learn? That that which is not done honestly, that which is not done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be burned up. It will not stand. And the early church had to learn a lesson. And Ananias and Sapphiria taught them that lesson. God will not tolerate playing games. It has to be honest. It has to be from the heart, or it will not stand the test of his fire. So 1 Corinthians 3.15 gives us the second fire. Every man's work shall be tried. Sobering, but true. The third fire is the fire of eternal doom. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, rendering vengeance on them that know not God. The obvious conclusion, as you look at these three areas of Scripture in the New Testament that talk about fire, is that everyone here will know fire from God. Everyone. All of us may experience the first fire, and I hope we will. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. All of us may experience that. Some will experience the second. Their works are wood, hay, and stubble, and they're burned up. And some regretfully We'll experience the third, the fire of eternal doom. You cannot read out of the Bible the doctrine of eternal punishment for those rejecting Christ. Have you ever had a burn? It hurt, didn't it? There's nothing quite so painful as a burn. I read with interest the story of that little boy who was set on fire by his father in a motel room and 90% of his body was burned. And I thought, how could he ever live? But he's moving around, he's active, he's doing things again. A miracle, but oh, how painful. 90% of his body burned. Oh, what pain. 
But the Bible says there is something called eternal punishment, a lake of fire that burneth forever and ever, century after century, eon after eon, age after age, an eternal lake of fire. Some say, oh, this can't be true. If the day comes when repentance is impossible, what remains but an endless hell? Some say, I don't believe in pain. There are groups that say, I don't believe in pain. But stick a pin in them and see what happens. You know, it's ridiculous. Take one of those hat pins, just go, Psst, and see if they don't understand pain. For whom is this doom that Paul talks about? For them that know not God. Hear me on radio, here in the sanctuary, hear me. It is not enough just to say I'm an agnostic. That doesn't change anything. This eternal doom is for them that know not God. Know not is English. Agnostic is Greek. Ignoramus is Latin. Slice it any way you want to. You're a fool. And there's only one outcome, and that's eternal fire. Take your choice. You still ought to know God. It's the first and most solemn duty and obligation of man to know God. And we can know Him. Have you resisted every attempt to know Him? Maybe that's the problem. You haven't paid attention to His wooing, to His love. Have you placed yourself under infidel or humanistic influence? Have you listened to blasphemous teaching by some professor? There is an answer. Obey the gospel. That's what Paul said. Obey the gospel. If you obey not the gospel, then there's eternal fire. Three fires in the New Testament. I want to experience the first. And I pray that my faith in God will keep me free in the other two. Now, if you cannot grasp, particularly this second or third fire, remember that it's somewhat like a child that doesn't enjoy punishment from a parent. What does a child do? They, they run or hide, they isolate themselves. The solution is not to hide. The solution is to mend the way. The solution is to become obedient. The solution is to say, I'm sorry, and I want to become what you envision me to be. Will you do that today? Have you been to Calvary? Have you been to the upper room? Have you been to the place where you can place your talents on the altar and know that the fire of God will prove them stable and sufficient? Have you felt God's warmth? Have you sensed His cleansing power? Have you opened your heart to Him that He may fill you with His glory so that we may win this city for Christ?
and not just be going through the motions of church? Do you feel the burning of God's fire in your bosom today? Bow your heads with me, if you will, throughout the auditorium. As our heads are bowed, the closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more necessary messages like this will be. Where our whole life is challenged by the Word of God. Where we are confronted with our works. We're confronted with our lives. And we have to ask, will they stand God's test of fire? Have I gone to the upper room to receive that baptism of fire where the Word of God becomes life and meaning to me? Sunday nights after our evening services in the room over here, we're praying for people for this baptism of fire, and many are receiving. Are you one? Are you taking time for God's fire to burn in your life? I'm convinced we need it. We must have it. We're going to make it. Heavenly Father, as we bow in prayer, may the Word of God be applied by the Holy Spirit. May the Word of God be quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. May it accomplish your purposes, Lord. We see in your Word these three fires. May everyone here escape the judgment fire. May everyone here find their work standing the test of fire that their gold, silver, or precious stones. May we do nothing for vain glory. And Lord God, may everybody here experience Pentecostal fire where we're filled with Jesus so much that we are manifesting him to a world that needs him so much. Touch us in this moment, we pray, as we seek to really live in 85, may we take hold of these truths and live them out. I pray in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed, we ask there are people in church this morning who need a Savior. If Christ would come today, you really wouldn't be ready to meet him, and you want to be. The blood of Jesus Christ avails for your sins. You don't have to face eternal fire, judgment fire. You can come into his love and into his blessing. Would you raise your hand and say by that hand, Pastor Cole, pray for me today. I want salvation. Thank you right here. God bless you. Yes, thank you. Thank you over to my left. Thank you so much. Back over to my right. Yes, God bless you over there, ma'am. I want salvation. I want God's forgiveness. Thank you right in here. Praise God. Back over to my left. Thank you. Way over on the side. Anyone else? Lift it up, then you may put it down as soon as I see it. Thank you, sir. God bless you here. Another way back in the corner. And right here, sir. God bless you. And right here, buddy. God bless you. And another. God bless you. You don't have to be punished for your sin. Jesus took the punishment. But if you don't come to him, then there's eternal fire. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand back here. Thank you. Those of you who have raised your hands, would you mind just standing and coming out to the aisle, slipping down here to the front? People will let you through if you're in the middle of the aisle. Don't hesitate. I want to have you right here for my prayer. And I want to give you some material this morning that will help you in your quest. 
come, just get up and come. Everyone Jesus called, he called publicly. He said, come, follow me. And I want you to come back from over here, any section. Just make your way out to the aisle. Come on down. God bless these that are already moving. Thank you. Back from over here, they're coming from every quarter. God bless you. If you're up in the balcony and I didn't see your hand, you can slip over to the side either way and come on down. God bless you as you do. Jesus loves you very much. While these are coming, may I ask how many of you feel you need the fire of God burning in your soul more today and you just want God's touch in a new and fresh way? Let me see your hand. Raise it up. God bless you, hundreds of people throughout this building. Don't forget tonight's meeting and the prayer meeting afterward. The prayer meeting before at 5 o'clock. Those times can be very meaningful times of growing you in God and letting that fire burn. You've got to take time for God, folk. The church and the Bible and the messages that the pastors preach have got to be more important than the local television programs on Sunday night or Wednesday night. I'm talking about the fire burning out the dross and bringing to us reality so that we're willing to follow him all the way. Give him time. Give him our life. Evaluate. Let's stand as we pray for these and others that are here who are looking forward to God's special touch. Hallelujah. I'm so glad he's here, aren't you? Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these that stand at this place. I thank you for their desire to follow Jesus. They've heard your voice. And today they stand here saying, I want Jesus to cleanse me from my sins, to wash me of my iniquity and make me whole. Come into their hearts right now, Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let us all say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, wash me of my sins. Become my Savior. Help me to live for you. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me, for dying for me. I now love you with all of my being. Take me and use me. Amen.